So we are actually concluding this series today, season in the minors. We started it several weeks ago um, as we kind of started with just an, an intro to, to who is a prophet and why do we have him and why do we not have him today and, and what's their role in God's plan of redemption. And, and again, most of all these, these prophet books are found in the Old Testament. We have one prophetic book in the New Testament in Revelation. Uh, but the prophet's job was to hear a message from God and then to deliver that to the specific audience that they were told to give it to. And, and so as we're studying, again, we have major prophets and minor prophets in the Old Testament. Um, they are the, the last books of the Old Testament. And uh, again, these are minor prophets, not because of the topics are minor, but just because they are smaller groups of people, smaller localized issues that they typically address. Um, and they are smaller books because of that as well. So the last 12 books of the Bible are the uh, minor prophets, and we've then looked at the last few weeks as we've looked at just a few of them, right? We've looked, only looked at four of the 12, um, but we've seen how, uh, again, how God speaks through them and the different messages, and again, we learned so much about who God is and, and about um, his message, right, to his people, which includes us even today. You know, one of the, the, the things that we, we learn and have seen through this series um, is, is how important it is to see a, a full picture of God. And it's so much, again, the New Testament picture and description of God is very different than the Old Testament. Uh, in that we see the God of love and of grace and, and in the new covenant of grace that is portrayed through the New Testament letters and, and especially through the Gospels and the life of Jesus. And, and yet God um, has, a, there's a side of God that is also just, right? Because God is holy. And we're not, right? We fall short of that. And so, you know, because of that, God is, is holy and just. And, and there are times when God gets angry. And I think it's, it's important for us to see that and to know that about God, because that's still true of God. I mean, God has not changed, right? The God of the Old Testament is still the God even of the New Testament. And, and as we have studied through these books, we, we realize that there is a basic layout of the minor prophets. I mean, as we go through each of them, they've, the, this routine, right, or this structure of the book is, has become familiar, because pretty much all of them have the same structure, right? We see that they, they start out with a warning or an expl explanation of judgment, right? God has had enough, right? And he's, he's about to judge, right, or come out. And, and so we see it starts with that, and then there's, there's a call to repentance, right? That it, it's not too late to, to turn, turn from your evil ways, right, and, and come back to God and, and the and then we see typically a conclusion of the book with, with a picture of hope for a better future. And many of the, the, the prophet books look forward to a Messiah. And again, we've seen this, this messianic prophecy, right? As, as all of these were written hundreds of years before that first Christmas, before Christ was born. And, and these descriptions, right, of the coming Messiah. And, and again, we see how those scriptures are, are fulfilled in Jesus and and not just his birth, but in his life and his death and resurrection. In fact, as we go into the Christmas season, we'll be using some of those, those prophetic descriptions of Christ in our celebration of the Christmas season. And, and, and as we see this, this common structure right, of the books, I, I'll tell you that Zephaniah is no different. Um, it follows the same outline. It, it has the, the similar descriptions. However, we have also seen that each book is unique in what it shows us about God. In the specific situations it addresses, it, it gives us a different picture of, of who God is. It also shows us a different picture of ourselves or of the human condition. And, 
And what is it that we do that makes God angry and upset or disappointed in us? And then we also see the different details of true repentance. And again, when you see repentance, repentance is a pretty complex concept. It's far bigger than just confessing. Right? And we see these different pieces and, and, and parts of true repentance as they come out through these different minor prophet books. And, and like I said, Zephaniah is no different, the one that we're ending with today. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to the book of Zephaniah. Um, and as we uh, you know, find it, again, it's just like all the other ones. It's not a, a huge book. It's not an easy one to find. It is three chapters long. Um, and and as, we, as we look at it, though, um, and as we open up to it, again, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Zephaniah. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats, so you're welcome to use. Again, if you just open your Bible, leave it open to Zephaniah. We're going to go back to it a couple times here today. Um, if you're with us online, if you have your Bible close to you and you can read along with us, if not, um, you can just uh, listen as I read these passages as well, but and we, as we look at Zephaniah, we start out in the first chapter, just like all of the minor prophets do. They start out with the, the doom and gloom, right, that comes with it, and that God is angry, and this explanation of why God is angry. And in fact, that's one of the unique things about Zephaniah, is that he literally just tells us why God is angry. And he gives us three very specific reasons why God is angry. And so we're going to look at those today. But, but also, why God's angry also reveals some, of, some truths about us as humans, right, and, and what we do that causes this anger in God. So, so we're going to start off here. The first thing that Zephaniah points out um, is that God is, is angered uh, by people who are worshiping the wrong things. Right? God is angered by people worshiping the wrong things. The, the reality is we are all created to worship something. Hey, we were created by God. He, he breathed his his spirit into us, and, and again, we are made in his image, and just a part of that means that we were created to worship. And, and so we all find something to fill that void in our lives. And if it's not God, then we end up worshiping lots of other things. And this was true then, it's still true now. And in fact, we, we find all kinds of things to worship. We see in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Okay, where he says, for they go up to the roofs and they bow down to the sun, to the moon and the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. And I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. As we see from this, these verses here in the, the opening part of Zephaniah, that Again, we're created to worship, and God is angry because you're worshiping all kinds of things that are not him. I mean, as it says, right, it's like, man, you, you go up your roof, and you, you bow down and worship the sun, and you worship the stars and the moon. And again, I think we see that even in our world today, don't we, that, that people worship nature, right, or the stars or whatever it is. And we've come up with all these interesting ways that, that, we, that we worship, you know, these, these created things. As you see here, also, as is, is he points out this, this Molech, he's like, and as, as, if, as if that's not enough, you also kind of create these other gods. And, and all of these nations around Israel in their time, they, they had these idols and these statues and, 
and, and these, these figments of their imagination, and, called, and they gave them these gods different names, and again, Molech was one of those, and, and again, he's just pointing out, he's like, man, you've, you've let your worship just, just be scattered. I mean, you've, you've made up these things to worship, and, 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 and again, we, we see that, that this reflects, again, the human reality, and again, that human reality we see, even about ourselves, is that we were created to worship. And so we will find something to worship, because that's we were created to do that. But we often turn to anything and everything other than God to fill that void in our lives. We turn to anything and everything. I mean, and again, we, we, will, we worship all kinds of stuff. And, and it was true for them back then. They made up these gods. They worshiped the sun and the stars and all those things. And the same is absolutely true today. In fact, we, we worship all kinds of things, right? And, and especially in our American culture. Okay, whether it's we worship, uh, you know, celebrities, right? We worship material things like, you know, cars or, or homes or possessions. I mean, we, 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 we worship other people. We, we worship these ideas, like the sun and the moon and the stars and the, you know, the horoscopes and all these things that we come up with, right, to, to fill these voids in our life. And, and yet, again, we're not even bashful about it. In fact, like, I mean, think of, look at our culture. We literally have a show called American idol, right? And, and, and none of us even think anything about it. Right? And, and the reality is we worship all kinds of things. And, and, and Zephaniah points out that God is angered when we worship the wrong things. The, the next thing that Zephaniah points out that God is angered by is that God is angered by people being complacent in their sin. Yeah, I was angered by people being complacent by their sin, in their sin, as, they, as they're, they're living in that. Now, again, it's, it's important to point out here that, that, that he doesn't say that God is angered by sin, right? But he's angered by the complacency of our sin. Right? We see in Zephaniah 1.12, where he says, I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sin. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. Now again, we see that, again, what God is angered by. He's not necessarily angered by the sin itself. He's angered by the attitude towards the sin. Right? The fact that it's like, you know what, Mike, like my sin doesn't even matter. Right? And where they're sitting back and saying, like, you know what, I'm I'm good. Like, I know I fall short of God's glory, but it's fine because I'll just ignore it, right? And I know that God's not going to do anything good for me, but he's also not going to do anything bad or he's not going to judge me for my sin either. And guess what? That's a lie, right? Zephaniah calls that out. I mean, he just says, like, guys, this is a lie. This is a place that you can't get to, right, of, of where you, you're just complacent in your sins and you're comfortable there. And that's the, that's the human reality, right, that we realize from, from God being angered by the complacency of our sin is that the reality is we were created to be holy. We were created by a holy God. We were breathed into his image. We were created to be holy. But we get comfortable falling short. I mean, that, that's the foundation of the gospel, right, that we all fall, have sinned and fall short of God's glory standard. And, and that, that is, that's true, right? That's the... I mean, the reason we need a Savior is that we are all fall short of God's glory standard. But again, and that's not even what God's upset about. What God's upset about is that we get comfortable 
falling short. That we're okay with it. We're like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just be happy in my own misery. Right? And, and yeah, I, I know that God's not part of my life, but he's also not going to do anything bad to me. I, I'm good. And, and I think when we, when we realize I can get to that point, again, this, this isn't just about the, again, the sin itself. This is about the heart condition that really angers God. And we're like, yeah, I know I'm bad, but I'm just going to embrace it, and I'm good being bad. And so we do nothing, right? That's complacency. We get comfortable in our own misery. And and we see that then, as this is taking us down a road, right, that that we're worshiping the wrong things, we get get complacent in our sin, and uh, and then we... It leads us to the third thing that Zephaniah points out that, that God is angered by, and that, that is that God is angered by people relying on earthly things for their preservation. Again, if God is our king, that means God is our provider, and, and he's our loving father, and, and he wants to provide the things in our lives. In fact, we are told over and over again, all throughout Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, that we turn to God for what we need, and yet God gets angered when we rely on anything and everything else on earthly things for our preservation. In, in, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, your silver and your gold will not save you on the day of the Lord's anger. For the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrifying end of all the people on earth. And what's he calling out? He's calling out that like, Hey, like, you're relying on earthly things to save you. He's like, right, it doesn't matter how much silver or gold you have, it will not save you. But yeah, we, we put our, our comfort in that. We put our, our whole lives, we bank on, on what we have, right? I mean, again, you, you see that. We do that all of the time. We, we, we are relying on earthly things for our preservation. Even in our American culture, this is so prevalent. I mean, I think there's a reason why God's spirit is moving and why the church that is growing the fastest in the world are in places of down-and-out poverty. Because they have nothing to turn to other than God. And yet we, again, even as we celebrate Thanksgiving, we know we have so many blessings in our lives. Right? And we have so much to be thankful for. We have an abundance. In fact, just the fact that you live in America means you are in the top like 3% of the wealth of the entire world. Right? And, and again, Zephaniah calls out that we are looking to earthly things for preservation. Again, I'm not saying, again, that it's a sin to be wealthy. That's, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't hear that. Okay, but I'm saying but it is you know, um, a problem right? When, when we turn to that instead of God our preservation, because our gold and our silver will not save us. And, and it, it exposes this human reality, right? And the human reality is that God is supposed to be our provider, but we arrogantly believe that we can handle it ourselves. I assume we're, and again, in this moment, in this, these times in our lives when we're like, God, thank you, but no thanks, I got this. I don't need your help. And that's, again, a place of arrogance, right? Of like, God, we know, I know you're a good God. I know that, that you could provide, but, but 
I don't need you in this area of my life because I'm covered. Right? And, and as we see that, again, not just materialistic things, but again, I think that is at the core of, of what dashes the gospel, right? Even in our world today is the fact that we don't think we need a savior. I can take care of it myself. And yet when we look back at all these things, it's easy for us to look at these things and, and focus on that God is angry. Right? And, and again, to have this perspective right, of, of this, this angry God, right? and God is just mean and just waiting for a chance. Again, we, kind of, we talked about this last week a little bit in Obadiah. Yeah, it's easy to focus on that, but, but I want to challenge us, though, to not focus on the, part, the fact that God is angry, but, but focus on, on why God is angry. And that's what Zephaniah calls out here. Right, because notice, what is the motivation of God's anger? Okay, look back at all of these things. When, when God is angered by people worshiping the wrong things, when God is angered by people being complacent in their sin, when he's, he, he's angered right, by relying on earthly things for our preservation, the, these things, actually, none of these things are self-serving to God. Right, these are all things that God has moved to anger because he's motivated by love because he wants the best for us. All of these things are hurting us. It's, they're not hurting God. And again, we see even in God's anger, we see the, the loving side of God if we will just open our eyes to it. And, and as we realize that, right, all of these things are motivated by love. They don't, they don't gratify God at all. In fact, they're to help us. And, and Zephaniah points this out as, as he says, but there, there's an answer, right, to all these things. I mean, to God's, to God's anger, it, his anger can be subsided. And, and we see, again, this, this common, you know, routine of the prophets where, where we start in the beginning of Zephaniah chapter 2, where, where he moves to the call to repentance. And in these three verses, he gives us the answer to these issues. Okay, Zephaniah chapter 2, picking up at verse 1. Where he says, gather together, yes, gather together, you shameless nation. Gather before judgment begins, before your time to repent is blown away like shaft. Act now before the fierce fury of the Lord falls and the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow his commands. Seek to do what is right and to live humbly. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you, protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. Again, we, we see in these verses that, that God says there is an answer to this, right? There, there, that we don't have to stay in this state of, of an angry God, that, that there is hope to move forward and to, to move out of that. And he gives us three very specific things to do in these verses. The, the first thing that we are told to do is we are told to gather. He says, he says, gather them all together, right? You, you shameless nation, right? You're in this place, just, just gather together. And, and again, because God knows what we have learned all, all over again these last few years, that there is incredible power in community. There is incredible power in community. 
In fact, we were made for community. We long for it, right? When we were all isolated in the middle of this pandemic, right? And through that is, is that it showed us what we should have already known, right? And that was what, that we need each other. Even if you're an introvert, you still need other people. We need that. We are created for community. We are created for relationship. And there is power in community. In fact, you can see this, um, not, I mean, take it out of the, the church religious context. I mean, you look at, it, at all kinds of organizations and movements and, and, and different things in our world that are, that are not Christ-centered, and they know this to be true. There's power in community, right? Whether it's, it's a, a movement, right, or a, a gang, right, or, or a militia, right, or whatever it is, right, there, there, there is power when, when people gather, and that is especially true of the church, right? When we gather together on a common belief of, of that God is king, right? And that Jesus is the Messiah. When we gather together, right? That community provides support and accountability. Right? And, and it, it purifies our own hearts and minds, right? About, to keep us on the right path, right? That if we get off, that, that, that the, the people of God come around and be like, hey, that's not quite right. Right? It, it provides um, direction for us, right? To, to make sure that we're only worshiping the one true God. That we don't get pulled off or distracted. Right? There is incredible power in community. That we see the same concept again talked about in the New Testament in, in Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25. Where it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm." For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Right? And, and again, the, the church is not just about coming to a building. right? But it's about corporately worshiping. Right? It's about finding that, that, that community, right, with like-minded people that point us and keep us focused in the right direction. And when we look at even just the state of church today, like I said, we, we have learned the power of community through the last few years. But yet the reality is that there are still now, today, right, that there are people that were a part of our community and a family of, of church, even at Oregon Trail, just like most other churches that we have not seen in two years. Okay, and the typical church is not back to their pre-pandemic levels of attendance. I'll tell you, we aren't. Okay, now again, we started you know, online during that. And again, if you're with us online, I'm glad that you're here. Okay, but, but you know that, that online is better than nothing, but it's not the same. Right, and this is exactly why, because you don't experience the power of community when you watch online. Now, again, if you're online, I'm not, I'm not calling you out. I'm glad that you're with us, right? I'm glad that you have a connection, right? And again, it's better than nothing, but it's not the same. And, you know, when, when we were in Guatemala this last year, we, we, our team, we went and worshiped together at a church on Sunday when we got there. And, uh, you know, the pastor there was talking about this. In fact, the Sunday we were there was the first Sunday that that church had gathered together in person since the pandemic started. Okay, I mean, the pastor, while we were there in Guatemala, he said, 
He's like, he's like, the problem with missing church is that eventually you stop missing church. And we can fall into that trap, right? Because we, we buy the lie that we don't need community, right? That we, we can worship on our own, we don't need corporate worship, and, and it's just not the same. Right? And eventually you, you stop missing it. There is incredible power in community. And this first step that Zephaniah, you know, told Israel, the first step towards repentance is to gather. Yeah, the, the second thing that he, he points out here in, in these verses is, is that we need to act now. Yeah, he says there, there's an urgency here because God is angry. Judgment is coming. Right? And, and we have no idea how or when or how long we have, but, but we need to act now. This is an urgent matter. You know, when we think about urgent versus important, and I see that even in my own life, right, there are some incredibly important things to get pushed to the back burner because the urgent is always knocking. Right? And so many times, again, we, within our lives, we, we push things that are way more important to the back burner because they're not as urgent as what's just right in front of our face. Right, and that's a challenge that we have to live out, right, is, 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 is not just the urgent, but also accomplishing the important. And, and, and again, we, we cannot procrastinate those important things. And again, I'll tell you, I am a self-professed, I mean, top of the list, best procrastinator you can find. And yet, I've had to work in my life to make sure I don't procrastinate the most important things, especially because of the urgent. And even when you see that, we look at this as Zephaniah is telling them, he's like, guys, this is, there's nothing more important. Right? You need to act now because this is so important, but this is also urgent, right? Because we have no idea when, when God's going to have enough and he's going to come back and he's, by the way, he's angry. Right? And again, he's telling me, he's like, the day is now. But again, this is not just about the coming judgment, but it's also about using all of the time that we have for God's glory. Right? About making sure that I'm making the most of every day and every opportunity. Because the reality is, if I'm still breathing, God still has a reason I'm here. And I need to fulfill that. We see this concept, right, of the urgent versus the important versus how it all plays in together and and in our lives with Christ, that we, we naturally live in this tension, right, about that we only have so much time, and we don't know how much time we have, right? Whether, whether God's returning, right, to the final judgment, whether we're going to even just die our own physical deaths, we never know how long we have, right? And so, again, your, your life with Christ is urgent, and it's also incredibly important. But yet we live in this tension, because the reality is that as a, as a saved believer in Christ, dying is victory, because I get to go be at home with my God in heaven. And yeah, we live with this tension, right, about like, but I also need to make the most of the time I have here. Right, Paul speaks to this in Philippians chapter 1. And remember, as we look at this, he's literally writing this from a prison cell. Okay, and he says, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Again, I, I would tell you today, again, the, 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 it says to act now. And when we think about this, if you do not know 
100% that you are saved, that you've, you've believed that Jesus was God, that he lived a sinless life, he died on that cross, rose again on the third day, conquered death so that we could be saved, and you have prayed and confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, and you are saved. If you don't know that for 100% right now, and that the death is, is fearful for you because you don't know that you're saved, guess what? It's time to act now. Today is the day of salvation. You can pray and receive Christ as your Savior and to have that assurance of knowing that death, physical death, or even that final judgment of the second return of Christ or whatever comes is that it is a day of victory for every believer. And yet, if you do know that, Right? We also, again, are told we need to act now because we don't know when God's coming. And in fact, I think it's exactly why God didn't tell us when. So that we would feel the urgency of the most important. They have knowing that, man, I need, to, I need to fulfill every day to the most of what Christ has given me because I don't know how many days I have to fulfill it. Right? And, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand in front of Jesus right, at those gates of heaven and be like, Sorry, God, I was going to get to that. I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You fulfilled what, what I need you to do. And as we think about that and we see that, this is urgent, but it's also incredibly important. And the reality is the urgency keeps us from becoming complacent and comfortable. And so if, if, you, if you have received Christ as your Savior, but yet you might have been, become comfortable in, in your life or, or complacent in your sin, right? the reality is we don't know how much time we have left, and so we need to act now. You know, what issue in your, is in your life that needs to be confessed and repented from and dealt with today? What relationship needs to be reconciled? Today, who do you need to have that spiritual conversation with that you've been putting off? What step of faith do you need to take and follow through and be obedient in? Of being baptized or serving or just committing to being here more often, right? Whatever it is, I don't know what that step is, but my guess is you probably do. Act. We're told to gather, we're told to act now, and then the third thing that, that God tells us to do through Zephaniah is he says to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And as we look at this in verse 3, where we are told to seek the Lord, he breaks this down even further. There are two specific things identified that are required to truly seek the Lord. The first one is an attitude of humbleness. To humble ourselves before the Lord. And this is a heart condition. Right? Do I surrender myself to God and to his authority? Right? Do I humble myself before, under him? And the other, the second one is given is, is obedience. Right? To do it. This is, and this is an outward action. And so to truly seek the Lord, it creates, we need that humble heart condition and the outward action of obedience. And if we truly do those two things, and those are working together as we seek the Lord, then the result, as he tells us in verse 3, the result is God's protection. 
right, that God is with us, that we will have the hand of God in our lives. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, again, tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Again, are we, are we relying on God? Are we seeking him with everything we have? Are we humbling ourselves under him and, and being obedient to what he leads us to do and shows us to do? And, and if we truly can seek the Lord, then the result, as Zephaniah tells us, will be God's protection and God's provision. Yeah, and this is exactly the same concept that Jesus reiterates in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in verse, 20, uh, verse 31, he says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now notice Jesus says this, exactly the same two things that Zephaniah said. Okay, the first thing that we need is humbleness, right? As he says, um, again, seek the Lord above all else. Okay, I say, God, you are first, right? I'm not. And then he says then to live righteously, right? That's the obedience. I mean, it's the same two things, right, that Jesus tells us here that was identified in Zephaniah. He says, and that is how you will truly seek the Lord. And then Jesus promises that we will have what we need. Okay, just to be clear, he doesn't say we'll have everything we want. But you'll have everything you need. And as we look at this, this, this kind of big picture description that Zephaniah gives us here as he calls us out, um, you know, on these three things that makes God angry, the, the real answer to it. And, and then he, he moves from this big picture answer, and then he calls out through the following verses, the rest of chapter 2 and even into chapter 3, of he calls out specific nations, right? the, the surrounding nations around Israel, and then it all culminates into calling out specifically God's city, Jerusalem. Okay, and this is, again, the, the capital, not just the capital of Israel, but this is where the temple was. This is where God's presence was on earth. Right? In, in, in Jerusalem. And, and then we see this, as he, after he calls out all these, these different nations, and culminates in Jerusalem, and then we see this, this incredible passage in Zephaniah, okay, uh, chapter chapter 3, where we see the true heart of God. He, he includes the, the, with a glimpse of the true heart of God in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Okay, where it says, it says, I have wiped out many nations, devastating, devastating their fortress walls and towers. Their streets are now deserted, their cities lie in silent ruin. There are no survivors, none at all. And I thought, surely they will have reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warnings. And then I won't need to strike again, destroying their homes. But no, they get up early to continue their evil deeds. Therefore, be patient, says the Lord, because soon I will stand and accuse these evil nations, for I have decided to gather the kings of the earth and pour out my fiercest anger and fury 
on them. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. Again, do you, you can just see this, again, in God's heart here, right? As he says, like, the reason I've done all this, the reason I've, I've caused all this destruction, all this judgment, he's like, the reason was just to, to get your attention, to wake you up to the reality that I love you. Right? And, and, and God, the heart of God in all of his doom and gloom was to get us back to the place of reverence for him. And so we will change our ways. Right? But God looks at he's like, but they don't. He said, instead of turning back to me, instead of truly repenting and getting back on the right path and focusing on the right things and worshiping me and all these things, right? instead of doing the right things and getting their attention, he says they just wake up and do their evil all over again. I mean, you can just feel God's heart breaking in that text. And he says, because of that, now, now I'm going to have to pour out my judgment on the whole earth, right? Like, and then the book makes a dramatic shift. Okay? And, and the, the book shifts, right, towards hope for those that are holding on in this final judgment. Okay? And the, the, the concluding part here of, of Zephaniah in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3 gives us this real unique perspective and picture of heaven. If God is saying, as now that I have to pour out my judgment right on the whole earth, and, and again, we see that because of this, they won't turn to me. And so then we get this hope, this hope that comes towards the, the coming final judgment and, and our real home in heaven. Okay, Zephaniah 3, verse 9, is what we're picking up here as we start this picture, where he says, Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. Remember, who, who gave us, who you know, scrambled our tongue, gave us all the, the different languages of our world? God did. Right, that's the Tower of Babel. Okay, to, to keep us, again, from knowing that we need him, right? That we can't communicate together. We couldn't get too powerful. So we scramble languages. Notice who's going to unscramble them? God. And again, we, we can worship God through, we can worship together through different languages. I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons we do short-term trips, is that we can all go together and experience God in a different culture, in a different language. Right? I know he's the same God. Right? In fact, literally, we have brothers and sisters of Christ that are worshiping God in a different language in our gym right now. Right? And yet, but the, the picture of heaven, right, is that, that we can all, he will purify our speech, we all come together, truly unified in one language and one worship. Like that's what heaven will be. Right? And, we, and we see, again, if you, if you have time, I encourage you this week, right? Again, we don't have small groups this Wednesday, and so, you know, if you do that, if you don't get the question, read through it, but read through this passage. Okay? This is, this is a, a cool picture of heaven. Okay? And then we see it all culminates into, into verse 20, right, where it says, where on that day I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of of distinction among all the nations of earth, and I will store your fortunes before your very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yeah, we, I mean, we, you've probably heard that phrase, right, within the Christian culture, right, that this earth is not my home. 
Right? And notice here, I mean, that's where this comes from, right? Is, is Zephaniah, is, as God is looking at this, this picture of heaven, he's saying, and I'm just going to bring you home. Right? To die is gain. I get to go home. And I get to be with my God in his honored presence. And again, get, he gives us this unique perspective and glimpse of heaven. And, and as we see this and, and, and we recognize, right, like what God is calling us, the reality is that God is angered. He still gets angry today. But it's not an anger of wrath, it's an anger of disappointment. I mean, we see that, that again, the Heavenly Father heart, right, of like, why don't you just get it? Right? Gather, act now, and seek me with everything you have. And if we truly do that, everything will be different. And it starts with our own hearts. And, and as, as we see this, again, this message, not just of Zephaniah, but just of, of all of these minor prophets put together, right, as we see this, this familiar rhythm, and yet what are we going to do with it? And that brings us to final thought today, and that is this. The prophets present a predictable rhythm, a warning of judgment, a call to repentance, and a hope for a better future as they look forward to a Messiah. I'll tell you, we have the privilege of looking backwards at the Messiah, of knowing that it's Jesus. And so is your hope in Jesus? Again, where is your faith at? Is your hope truly in Jesus? Again, if, if you've never received Christ your Savior ever before, today is the day of salvation. It's time to act. Will you pray and, and confess your sins and, and ask him in your life and, and receive him in your, into your life and, and know that, again, that, that, that the fear of death just goes away, that, that death is victory. If you've never received Christ your Savior, I hope you will today. Maybe you've, you have received Christ your Savior, but you realize I'm complacent in my sin. I haven't, I haven't even moving forward in my faith that, that I, haven't, I haven't worked through. I'm going to take advantage of every moment, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to grow. Maybe, maybe you're already doing that, and you're just praising God today, but wherever you're at in your faith journey, take a step closer to Christ. Lord God, we thank you that you truly are worthy of our worship. God, we praise you today that you are a God that, that loves us exactly the way we are, that we don't have to change to come to you, but Lord, you get angry when we stay the same. God, you want us to move forward. We want, you want us, Lord, to fulfill you know, the, the will and the blessings that you have for us. And God, I pray that as we go this week, even as we celebrate with our friends and family, so much to be thankful for all that you provided in our lives, God. Not only do we give you the glory, but we show the world, Lord, who you are, through our love and our worship and our obedience and our humbleness. And God, I pray that as we go this week, that we will truly live out the community that you called us to in your church, Lord, that we will show this world who you are by how seriously we take our own faith, and God, by following through and helping to spread your word every day. God, help us to represent you well as we go this week, as we worship, as we praise, as we celebrate. We thank you for being God, for saving us, for transforming us, for bringing us to a new life and taking away the fear of death and a hope for life. We love you, praise you, thank you, guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.